So I'd like to tell you a story if I could. Um, Back in 2010, I became a defensive coordinator. And for those that don't really understand or know football, I became um, the person that was in charge of building and structuring a defense at Bookto High School. Bookto High School, anybody? There we go. Go Griffs, right? And so my goal wasn't to become a defensive coordinator. It just kind of happened and fell upon me. And so what I realized I had to do is I had to create this playbook that was filled with different types of fronts and schemes and blitzes and coverages that we were going to run throughout the course of that year. And the ultimate thing I realized is I had to develop some type of an implementation schedule or plan. Now, I attempted to find such notebook, but I couldn't find it. But it was black, it was a big three-ring binder, and it was messy. It had pencils, pens, it had some type of graphic thing that I could make circles with when I had to diagram a play. And so that year in 2010 was a great year for us as a football program. We went all the way to the state championship, we lost by one point. 13 to 12. I'm not bothered by it at all. In that game, we scored on defense like we usually do. We had the best defense in the state that year. We had 65 turnovers on the year, and we averaged a touchdown per game. We had a really, really productive defense. Offense was, I'm not a big offensive fan, but I enjoy and I love defense. And what I learned is, is that when I was coaching at another school at McKinley, I had a defensive coordinator who I coached under. And he gave me a lot of what I thought at the time, um, meaningless activities and responsibilities and duties. So before we got with all the technology that we call huddle, and now it kind of does all the work for you, I was the person that did all the work by hand with a pencil and paper and on a board, dry erase board, and writing up all the different formations. I had to chart all of the defensive tackles and all the defensive stats. And I thought, man, this stinks, man, because he's just giving me busy work. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. But what I understood and what I realized in 2010, that he was teaching me to develop a practice. And it was a practice of imitation. He was teaching me how to do some things to where I learned how to kind of imitate some of his behaviors as he prepared our defense. From watching film to my eyes turn red till they fell out to the point where I just knew what was coming before it happened. And so that's worked for me not only as a coach and as a community leader and other aspects of my life, what I found is it's even more important that I develop it as a practice as I look to imitate Christ and to see what that looks like. And so here's what's going to happen. We're going to develop over the next three weeks, including this week, we're going to develop a practice plan to where we can be imitators of Christ. We're going to do a practice plan. It's exciting. I love practice plans. 
What I love the most about practice plans is when I cr can critique my other coordinators now when their practice plan is not the way I may want it. Like, that's what's fun because now I get to kind of come back. But we're going to develop a practice plan based on Ephesians 5 and 1 that simply says, therefore, be imitators of God, which makes sense, right? If we're made in his image and in his likeness, we should imitate him. Not just from a physical perspective, but his characteristics, his love, his demeanor, and his ways. And so we're going to turn into Joshua 1 and 8. And we're going to use this scripture to kind of set a little bit of a, of a level setting for us to where we're going to come back to. But we want to read it first because this was so important because Joshua had just experienced loss. The loss of his leader, the loss of his friend, someone that he is now putting in a perspective of having to imitate. And that was Moses. So God speaks to him in Joshua 1 and 8, and he says this, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And when you do so, you will be prosperous and you will have good success. How many of us in here want good success? Right? We want to be spiritually prosperous in the things that we do. So in order for this to happen, I want you want us to focus on just simply one word. The word I want us to focus on is when he told Joshua to meditate. To meditate. When I read and I studied other versions of this scripture, they actually use the word practice. Practice to do according all that is written therein. But before we practice, we have to meditate. The Hebrew word for meditate is Hagah, Hagah, which translated means to growl, to have this ferocity of just growling, like, oh my gosh, this is so good, give me more. So as a head football coach, now guess what I want my players to say? Hey, coach, give me more. I want more sprints. I want more time in the weight room. I want you to run me more. I want more physical activity. Why? Because I want you to study, to meditate, to show yourself approved because we got a game on Friday. But I want you to growl. I want you to meditate so much to where man is coming out of your pores and you're growling about it. And this is what God is communicating to Joshua. Because see, God knew the people that he was going to be leading. He knew the challenge that they gave Moses. And hey, you're going to be faced with this same challenge. But listen, I need you to meditate on this book of the law. To growl to Haggah. In order for us to be intimidated, in, in order for us to imitate or be imitators of Christ, we must understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of the law that God spoke of to Joshua. 
And it says this in Matthew 5 and 17. He says, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He is the actual fulfillment of the thing that was said to Joshua way back then. So in order for us, we have to develop our skills. So as I'm putting together our defensive scheme for the 2010 season, and I wanted to run this type of defense that really hadn't been run before. It was called a 3-3-5. And the reason why we ran it, because we were undersized. We didn't have really big linemen up front, but we had very fast and athletic young men. I said, man, we have to use this to our advantage. So I said, we're going to play a three-man front. And I remember our head coach at the time, Ricky Powers, he was like, how's that going to work? And I said, well, we're not going to be sitting ducks, but we're, we're going to stunt them and we're going to move them because we're going to use their speed to our advantage. And so with that, I realized I had developed some skills. And anytime you're creating a practice plan, you have to determine what skills are going to have to be developed in order for us to execute said plan or said scheme. So even as us as believers, the first skill that we have to develop a part of our practice plan in order to execute during our daily work, our daily walk, during our practice, therefore during our game, is going to have to be the skill of fasting. The skill of fasting. It's great. Guard City has a running club. Man, what if we had a fasting club? That room might be empty. Fasting. Fasting. And as we create this, what we're going to talk about is fasting is not simply on its own, but it's fasting and prayer. Similar or sounds like blocking and tackling. Because you can't have tackling without blocking. You can't have blocking without tackling. The same thing. You can't have prayer without fasting. And you can't have fasting without prayer. See, they go together. Kind of like peanut butter and jelly. Right? But don't give me that grape stuff. Give me strawberry. Come on now. Any strawberry people in the crowd. I don't want grape. So... Let's move forward into the three what's and a why, the three what's and the why part about developing our practice plan. So the three what's, what is fasting? What are the different types of fasting I can practice? What keeps me from fasting and why is it important for me to practice fasting and prayer? Three what's and a why. Everybody ready? I love it. So what is fasting? Fasting is the abstaining from eating for a period of time. Fasting is an outward expression of our inward commitment to pursue God. When we fast, you slow down to hear what God is actually saying to you. Fasting can take various forms and last for lengths of time. 
Fasting is not a Christian diet. That's not why we fast. It's not a Christian diet. We're just coming out of the holidays. I'm going to eat for Christmas. I'm going to eat for New Year's. Then when the New Year comes in, I'm going to get right. Come on now. Let's be courageous and let's raise our hands. Because everybody starts fasting at the new year, right? Because I'm going to start something new. I'm going I'm to cleanse out all the different things I ate, all the, the cheesecakes and the hams and, and the turkeys and the, and the fillets and the potatoes and all this stuff, and now I'm going to fast. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is not a condemning message, but a convicting one. But it's our inward commitment to pursue God. This is what we are saying when we make the sacrificial decision to fast. It is my inward commitment that I'm showing. There are different types of fast, so what are they? There is, well, you can do water only, you can do water and juice, or you can do a Daniel fast, which is, veg- which is veggies. The length of time is between you and God. That's not between anybody else but you and God because that is the practice. See, you as a player, you as a son or a disciple of Christ, you're going to the coach. And you're asking him, how long do I need to do this? And fasting isn't just abstaining from food. But you might want to abstain from some of the things in your life that can pose as a distraction from you clearly hearing from him. Again, we're talking about practice, and we're talking about practicing being imitators of God. Because guess what? I, I don't have it down. This has to be my daily practice. I might have done good doing it yesterday, but today I have to start all over again in my practice. So when we think about the different types of fasting, Hey, we got to all start somewhere. I can tell you right now, when, when I don't start when I want to get back to exercise. Here's the thing I don't start doing first is running. I just start by moving. I just start by moving and making an inward commitment to say, hey, here's the things that I'm going to try to do first, and then I'm going to progress. Because, see, practice doesn't make perfect practice makes progression. See, we want to progress in our relationship with Christ. We want to progress in in us imitating who he is. We want to progress in that because we'll never do it perfectly. Not on this side of heaven, we won't. We won't do it perfectly, so why put that stress on ourselves? But it doesn't it doesn't give us a way out of not at least trying to practice and trying to do it. Before we can answer the question, why is it important to fast and pray, we must first recognize and acknowledge what keeps us from fasting. I'm sure if we took a straw poll and we said, hey, what keeps you from fasting? Pastor Brian, he may say, man, I I really don't think about it that often. Don't think about it. 
It's not that I don't want to. I just really don't think about it. I've never really been taught the importance of fasting or what fasting can or will look like because it doesn't have to be, man, I never eat. Or then they say, oh, man, well, fasting in the Bible, we see two forms of fasting. We see people that fast for 40 days and 40 nights, which was Moses and Jesus. Like, man, I don't know if I can fast 40 hours. But what keeps us from fasting? See, we have to address that in order to move on. Being a coordinator in 2010, here's what, I, here's what I understood more. If I'm doing all this work of putting together a practice plan and putting together a scheme and watching all this film of our opponents, my opponent is doing the same thing for us, right? It wasn't just a one-way thing, but they're doing the same thing. So I'm like, man, if they're putting together their practice plan, and they're studying our movements, our characteristics, and our habits, our tendencies of what we do. When are we going to run? When are we going to pass? Sometimes our opponents, if they study us well enough, they're going to know our tendencies on first, second, and third down. They're going to know, man, that, man, we like to pass the ball on first down, so they may send the blitz and go cover one behind us, meaning that they're going to go man across the board. And sometimes when your opponent knows your tendencies, they're really good at setting traps. They're really good at setting traps for you. They're really good at setting traps. We play a lot of our games, our first five games, we play on the road. So that means we go into hostile territory. And most of the time we go, it's either suburban school or a rural school. And what I'll tell you is most of the teams that we play those first five weeks, they don't look like me. Can I just be real and honest with y'all? They don't look like me. And so no matter how much we talk to our kids throughout the week and we practice some of the things that may see in the game, the enemy, because when you got some momentum going and the enemy sees how well you're doing it and how, how much you're imitating God in your life and how you've committed a practice to it, they're still going to try to lay a trap for you. But my encouragement to you is don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Next thing you know, flags are flying. Next thing you know, the, the referee comes over and tells me, he's like, hey, man, such and such got to get out of the game because they said this, and we get a 15-yard personal foul penalty. And they said, man, it's unsportsmanlike conduct. So now we get a 15-yard penalty, which what? Which stops our momentum. We were just in the red zone getting ready to score. Now we get pushed back 15 yards. Now we're on the 35-yard line. Why? Because our young men, they took the bait. And how does this happen for us as believers? Sometimes we can take the bait. In the book I've been reading called The Bait of Satan, John Bevere states, one of the most deceptive and insidious kinds of bait is something every Christian has encountered, and it's offense. It's offense. But if we pick it up, if we consume it, if we feed on it in our hearts, then we become offended. And offended people produce much fruit, anger, hurt, outrage, jealousy, 
envy, resentment, strife, bitterness, and hatred. We are practicing being imitators of Christ. Having this word today doesn't make the enemy happy. It frustrates him and upsets him. Because we're talking about being imitators of Christ and how do we practice that. So I don't mean to scare you this morning, but I do want to caution you that there's going to be a trap set for some of you. My encouragement to you is don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Because, see, we're practicing being imitators of Christ. So what keeps us from fasting? Well, in order to know what keeps us from fasting, we got to look back before we can go forward. So let's, let's look back on and let's remember what God said to Joshua about meditate. The Hebrew word of Hagah, which means to growl to growl, to be hungry. I don't know about you, but I know that when my stomach is empty, it does what? It growls. It growls. When my stomach is empty, it growls. What does that signify to me? That I need to eat. Now, my stomach may growl more often than y'all's. Thank you for not laughing. But that's what it signifies. So the question that I have to ask myself and I have to ask God is I say, how do I know when my spirit man is growling and when I need to feed it? How do I know that? What makes me aware of that? What happens when our stomach growls, it signifies that we're hungry. And so when we meditate on being offended or the offense, that we have. Who offended us? I begin to growl towards what? My carnal nature, my flesh. See, that's why I produce the fruits of hatred and resentment, of bitterness. And now I begin to growl about my carnality now. And when I begin to growl about my carnality because I've been offended, what do I begin to do? I begin to defend. I begin to defend. I begin to defend all of my actions. I begin to explain to everything, to everybody. I begin to defend. But here's the thing that happens without realizing or knowing it. I begin to construct walls around myself when I am hurt in order to safeguard my heart and to prevent future wounds. That's what I begin to do. I begin to construct walls around myself when I am hurt in order to safeguard my heart and prevent future wounds. Thus, being more inwardly focused, my growl becomes more internal about Kemp. I begin to meditate on how something made me feel. I begin to meditate on how someone offended me. I begin to meditate on how I'm going to get them back if I can be real with you. I begin to meditate on those things. 
instead of outwardly focusing my growling to imitate Christ. See, what that means is I can no longer love unconditionally. Now I love you with a a filial type of love, which is a conditional love. I don't love you anymore with the agape. See, I can't because i got to protect me. This is why I'm constructing these walls around me. Because, see, man, I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want you to hurt me. I'm not going to allow you to hurt me. So I'm going to construct these walls all around me. And see, what I'm doing without knowing it, what I'm doing is I'm establishing strongholds. I'm establishing strongholds in my life now because I'm not going to let you in. And if I'm not letting you in, what is it preventing me from doing, from imitating Christ? Let's talk about what what Ephesians 5 and 1 says. Can we talk about it? What it says is, is that, man, therefore, imitate God as his beloved children and as Christ who gave himself for us in love. And love is a sweet fragrance that we have, but I no longer can love you as Christ has taught me to love you with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Why? Because I've constructed walls around me to protect me. And what I don't realize is I've just now built a stronghold around myself. And so when we ask the question, what keeps us from fasting? What keeps us from fasting is our carnality and the comfort that we find in it. I find comfort in being carnal. I can't fast because why? I want to eat. Because my body, this mechanism is telling me that I'm hungry. Why? Because my stomach is growling. But now through fasting, what I understand and what I learn is, and this is why it's so important, that we do fast. The practice of fasting makes our spiritual, our spiritual ears more acute, and it will be better, and we'll be better able to hear from God, because now I'll remove some things away from me, the distractions. My ears, I have to train my ears, and this is why it's so important that, that fasting and prayer is a part of our practice plan because I have to train my ears to be able to hear from God so that he can direct me, so he, he can usher me into all paths of truth. Fasting humbles us based on Psalms 35. It humbles us. It humbles our souls when we fast. Fasting and prayer can also bring deliverance to a nation. If you read the book of Esther, you will see that. She fasted for three days, and the children of Israel were delivered. Now, I don't know about you, but I look across our nation, and I say, man, our nation needs to be delivered. Amen? But are we going to practice being imitators of God and therefore make fasting and prayer a part of our practice plan, not for the betterment of us, but for the betterment of our nation. It's all there in the playbook. The playbook tells us 
hey, if you want to start something, if you want to do something, maybe you need to fast and pray before you go and do it. If you want to have spiritual powers and spiritual gifts, hey, man, fast and pray to know what your, what your spiritual gifts are and how God wants to use that. Most importantly, Jesus assumes we will fast. He assumes that we will. He says it. In Matthew 6 and 16, when he says, you will fast, or when you fast, the Lord will, will, who sees in secret will reward you openly. Here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, there's no option. There's no option there. He says, when you fast, so he is assuming that his teammates And as his teammates on one team, because we are the body of Christ, that, hey, we're going to fast. And it isn't just like a really good team captain, that they practice it first, that they do it first, and they usher it in. And he models this, and it shows up, and he practices it, and he's promoting it himself. When you look at Luke chapter 4, it talks about how when Jesus was led out into the wilderness. This was kind of like, if you will, training camp for Jesus. 40 days, 40 nights, training camp. Before what? He kind of gets the season going and starting his ministry. And it says in Luke 4 that he was tested for 40 days and 40 nights. So every day there was something that the enemy was testing him on. Every day there was something. Every day there's something that the enemy is testing you on. It could be through your marriage. It can be through your finances. It could be through your vocation, your job. It could be from within and you internally based on the strongholds that we have built for ourselves. So Jesus, who left his divinity to come down here and to take on carnality, And I know sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is so amazing. Jesus is amazing. But here's the beautiful thing. He told us greater works shall we do because he goes back to the Father, but yet and still we don't operate in them. Because what we'll say is, well, man, that was Jesus. And so then we, we, we outsource everything back to Jesus and we should use his names. We should use his names. And there's always been a conversation probably since the beginning of the church about speaking in tongues and not speaking in tongues. Well, here's the bottom line. If you don't speak in tongues, the only thing you need to be able to say is Jesus. And that sums it all up. So let's go back to your opponent kind of knowing your strategies and knowing your tendencies. So every day for 40 days, he was tested. But then it goes on to say when he became hungry that the enemy came. And the first thing that the enemy done, and this is, man, like this, and this is right here is the championship. Like, Jesus has to get a first down here before he can start his ministry. So on first down, he gets tested. He gets tested by, by the enemy when the enemy says to him, hey, 
if you are. He tests him with the very identity that Jesus said to him when he came up out of the river Jordan and said, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. The enemy comes back and say, well, are you really? He tests his identity. Then on second down, he comes back and he tests him with fame and fortune and prestige. And then like every good defense... They're going to send the house at you on third down. They're going to send everybody at you on third down. Because they know, man, if you get this first down or if you score, man, we're in trouble. We're probably going to lose the game. So now I'm going to test you by offending you. And the devil says, if you are the son of God, because, see, your enemy knows the game plan probably better than you because he says, hey, Jesus, as it is written, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will, get, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and to hold your hands, and they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone." See, the enemy had learned tendencies because Jesus has said every time for it is written. And the enemy says, hey, I, 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 know, that, I know that game plan. I know that practice. So let me throw it back at you. If you are the son of God, as it is written, you can throw yourself down and there bear you up. Like this is the last thing. The blitz is on. Jesus didn't operate from his carnal nature in which he had taken on for us. Because, see, this isn't Jesus in his divinity in this. This is Jesus carnal in his carnality. Who says, you will not tempt the Lord thy God. Why? Because he was practicing imitating his father. Because his father had declared over him who he is. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And even though he went and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that was enough for him. Band, come on back up. The last thing I'll say to you is this. The comfortableness of our carnality keeps us from coming to practice the way we should so we can fast and pray. When we neglect to practice fasting and prayer, we can become unable to function properly in God's purpose and calling in our lives, thus leaving us open and unguarded to the snares and the traps of the enemy. My encouragement for us all is that fasting become a part of our practice. Not here to tell you when you need to fast, how long you need to fast, and what type of fast you need to do. That's between you and God. But understanding when you do that, you make this internal commitment to lay yourself down and to daily practice recommitting and sacrificially giving of yourself to him. And when we do that, we'll be practicing being imitators of him. And then guess what? 
loving our neighbor becomes just a little bit easier because I ain't cluttered with all the stuff anymore. I've let some stuff go. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down argument and imagination and every thought to the obedience of Christ Jesus. I know we're robed in his flesh, but the spirit is so willing. We have to be able to know when it's growling, when it's hungry, and then we feed our spirit, man. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, Father God, for how you are giving us a new sense of meditate, that we may growl, and that growling moves us practicing being imitators of you in all that we do in all areas of our life not just in the ones that we feel like we got together but in the ones that are challenging that are hard that are difficult and thank you for the skill and developing our skills to not just pray lord god but to fast and to pray and to lay ourselves down before you and as we do that, Father, we, we thank you in advance for hearing the still voice that is yours, directing us and leading our path. We praise you for it right now, and we, we ask that you continue to strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen.